as Caleb had uh, nicely read our scripture today, our focus this morning is on this uh, story of a seemingly strange act of Jesus, and that was cursing the fig tree, and see what lessons we can draw from it. What Jesus did with the fig tree was so unlike him that uh, some claim that the writers of the gospel, Matthew and, and Mark in particular, because that's where the, the story was reported, that uh, these two writers must have misunderstood what Jesus did. And um, while others say that, you know, it just shows Jesus' humanity that he gets annoyed too. But what I believe is that Jesus is a message for us today. That's why he did what he did that morning. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Father God, it is always a blessing to come together as your people. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege, for this gift of the Sabbath, that we could come together to worship you, to fellowship with one another. Lord, as we spend a few moments in your word today, I pray that you will guide us, that your Holy Spirit will lead us into your truth. And Father, I ask that you will speak through me clearly and that you will hide me behind the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name. All right, now I'd like to ask a question. How many of you have fig, tree growing, fig trees growing in your backyard? Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> I haven't seen a fig tree. But apparently, this man, Stephen Biggs, uh, he grows fig trees in his backyard in Willowdale. Did you know that? And uh, he's written actually a book uh, entitled Grow Figs Where You Think You Can. You can't. And if you like to grow figs in your backyard, check out his book. Now, before we go into our story this morning, I'd like to share some interesting facts about fig trees, or fig in particular. So in ancient Greece, figs were used as training foods by uh, Olympic athletes, and it was also used as, uh, as medals for the winners. And the Romans actually considered uh, figs as restorative, meaning it's some kind of a drink that... Uh, uh, helps restore health and gives strength and uh, well-being. Pliny, a Roman writer who lived around 1st century A.D., said that figs increase the strength of young people, preserve the elderly in better health, and make them look younger with fewer wrinkles. How'd you like that? I'd like to, to have more figs. And uh, fig the fig fruit is rich in calcium and antioxidants. So the Romans actually knew what they were saying, and that's why they said it's a restorative, because it's an antioxidant. So along with, uh, with um, um, what is the other fruit there? Oh, sorry, if you go back. Yeah, plum is another fruit that rich in antioxidant. Now, the Bible also talks a lot about the uh, fig. and in, Actually, a fig is one of the uh, plants that's, um, one of the most mentioned plant in the Bible. And um, the first mention of fig was actually in Genesis 3, verse 7. If you recall the story, this was the, the time when Adam sowed fig leaves to cover their, when they realized, when they sinned, that they realized that they were uh, uncovered. And um, it was man's first attempt on self-righteousness. And we know, as uh, Isaiah said, our righteousness is, is like a filthy rags. And so God had to 
kill a lamb to cover their nakedness. Isaiah also mentioned fig as a, as a medicine. Um, you recall the story when King Hezekiah was sick. Isaiah told him to make a poultice out of fig. And so that's another mention of uh, fig in the Bible. And also, um, fig is used to symbolize good life. In 1 Kings 4.25, we are told that the golden years of Israel and Judah, that is during the year of Solomon, everyone lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And in Micah 4.4, God promises that in the last days, everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevine and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. And uh, the last um, um, mention of fig, well, that's not the last in the Bible, but that's what I wanted to bring to you, is that Jesus used that as an illustration of um, um, the nearness of his coming. And when he, he said that just as how people could tell that summer is near when they see that the fig is uh, uh, putting out leaves, so when we see the signs that Jesus mentioned, we know that his coming is near. Now, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew 21, which is where this story was actually mentioned. To set a context, um, you recall that Jesus went into Jerusalem, which we refer to as the triumphal entry. And this event actually happened the day after the triumphal entry. So Jesus went to Jerusalem and uh, amongst the, uh, the, uh, the celebration of the people because they thought that Jesus was going to proclaim himself now as the king. And so they shouted, Hosanna. They cut palm uh, uh, leaves and put them on the ground and took their cloaks and set them on the, uh, the road. And so Jesus went to the temple and just visited. And then he went back. And in the next morning, this, is, this was when the event happened. It says there... Um, on the way back to Jerusalem, Jesus saw a fig tree in full leaves, leaves in the distance. So as he was hungry, and, and uh, Caleb had read this, he went to see if he could find some figs, but all there, were, there was were leaves. Jesus then cursed the fig tree, and it withered immediately. Now the disciples were so amazed that the fig tree withered so quickly, so Jesus told them, and we can read this all together. If we, then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. Now this brings us to our first lesson. That is, faith can move mountains. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't believe that uh, Jesus wants us to have faith so we can move physical mountains. There's no purpose to that, right? Unless, unless I guess, you're building a tunnel or something. But I believe that what Jesus wants for us to understand is that with faith, all things are possible. Now, the question is, what are these mountains that Jesus said that we can throw into the sea? Well, I'd like to mention three things. Firstly, mountain of sin. Through faith in the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross for us, 
we can move mountain of sin. Micah tells us that God will trample our sins under his feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. So through faith in Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice, we can be cleansed from our sins. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. Now, the second mountain is a mountain of guilt. And we are told that this mountain of guilt can disappear and we can have peace with God. In Romans 5.1 we read, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, aren't you thankful that through faith in God's grace, our mountain of sin and guilt can be removed? I know I am. I know when I, when I realize that uh, I sin, and, and just knowing that God forgives, it brings joy, doesn't it? It brings joy when we know that we are restored through the, the merits of Jesus Christ. Now, like David, we can say, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Thirdly, through faith, we can move mountains of challenges. Now, we live in a sinful world. I don't need to tell you that we are faced with challenges. I know that as a family, we face challenges. We face them at work, at home, and even in the church. These challenges may be linked to finances, related to family relationships, relationships with our colleagues, and the list goes on. But the good news is, the God who promised deliverance to the Israelites is the same God that we serve today. Amen? You remember when the Israelites were trapped, the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptians pursuing them in the mountains on the side. God said, stand still and see the deliverance. Through faith and trust in our all-powerful God, we can move mountains of challenges and throw them into the sea. Now let's go back now to our story. And uh, I'd like to read for you as Mark had reported it. So these are the only two gospel writers who spoke about this event. So here's Mark's account. He says, The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in, the, in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again and the disciples heard him say that so the question is was Jesus being capricious when he cursed the fig tree was he simply annoyed was it fair for Jesus to expect fig fruits when Mark said it's not time for fig yet well in order for us to understand this we need, to we need to have a little bit more knowledge of the, uh, the, the, uh, the fruit-bearing cycle of, of fig. Now, fig is not one of the trees that I'm very familiar with, so I had to go to the University of Google to find out uh, uh, about figs. And uh, what I found out, actually, is that fig actually has two, uh, two crops. It bears two crops. One is the early fig. It's referred to as Bikura. Now, 
This one appears in late March or early April, and it ripens in June. And it's considered delicacy by um, people who eat them. And the other one is called the late fig or tiina, which ripens in August, and it's the largest crop. Now, another thing about fig is in late March, when the leaves first appear, yes, the leaves are accompanied by small knobs, and this is called takwash. So you can see that they're sort of Arabic uh, terms, takwash. So this uh, fruit, the, the uh, small knobs, were, are actually eaten by peasants when they are hungry. So now, based on this information, we can say that the fig tree that is in full leaf likely has fig fruits, right? Because the leaves come out as soon as the, the, the knobs come out. So the question is, remember that the story happened at the time when Jesus went to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, which is actually the, 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 fir, the, the week of the Passion Week. So the question is, when do we commemorate the, the Easter? Yes, early April, late March, right? Correct. So, so then this event took place during the early fig crop, and Jesus was expecting to see some takwash on that fig tree. So while Mark was correct to say that it was not time for fig yet, when this event took place, there is this one tree that appeared to be an early bloomer. And the Desire of Ages actually puts this very nicely. It says, one tree appeared to be in advance of all the others. It was already covered with leaves. Therefore, this tree in full leaf gave a promise of well-developed fruit. But its appearance was deceptive. It was a mass of pretentious foliage, nothing more. In short, Jesus cursed the fig tree because it gave an indication by its thick foliage that it has fruit. But unfortunately, that was all it had, leaves. Simply put, this fig was pretentious. It is interesting to note that, the story is the, that this story is the only place in the gospel where Jesus was credited to, have, to having directly killed something. You know when Jesus said he came to? gave life and to give abundantly. So this was actually a strange act of Jesus. Now Jesus did this because he wants to teach us an important lesson, which brings us to lesson number two. And that is God is not pleased when what we profess does not match our actions. It does not matter so much to God what we claim or profess. Our actions, that is, our fruits, are more important to him. Now, Jesus actually emphasized this point when later on in the same chapter of Matthew 21, where this event was reported, he told the parable of the two sons. You know the story where the father went to the two sons, the eldest, and said, go and work in my vineyard. And, and he said, no, I'm not going. But later on, he went. And then he went to his younger son and said, go. And he said, I'll go. But he didn't go. Now, the moral there of the story was, um, Jesus commended the first, one, the first son, right? Because he was the one that did what the father wanted him to do. So it's not so much as what he said. It's what he actually did that mattered to Jesus. Now, there is an interesting, if you can move to the next slide. 
There's an interesting statement that uh, Oswald Chambers, the author of My Utmost for His Highest, he says, the world is glad of an excuse not to listen to the gospel message and the inconsistencies of Christians are, is the excuse. Now this gives us something to think about. As Seventh-day Adventists, as Christians, do our actions match what we profess? That is, do we also have fruits along with our so-called leaves? Or as Seventh-day Adventists, we profess that we obey the Ten Commandments and keep the Sabbath. But might we be rejecting some of the fruits or neglecting some of the fruits of the Spirit, such as mercy and love? Or as Seventh-day Adventists, Adventists, we take pride in our health message. But the question is, are we patient with those who may still be struggling with some of these areas? Or as a church body, we struggle through major theological issues. And uh, unless you haven't been listening or hearing the news or reading what's going on on Facebook, that we just went through a very uh, uh, challenging decision in the general conference, right? So in the process to sort through these issues, the question is, do we exhibit Christ-like kindness and gentleness? You know, the reactions are still coming out on Facebook in terms of the, the vote. And uh, some of the reactions are not so Christianly. And uh, that's unfortunate. The other thing that we can think about is when we are in our workplace, in our school, do our colleagues see us as respectful and diligent workers and one with honesty and integrity? As a body of believers, could we be failing to bear fruits? Now this brings us to our third and last lesson. And that is, God expects us to bear fruits. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught many parables about fruit bearing. It's a common theme in the Bible. And I'm sure you can mention few of them. The parable of the sower, the parable of the talent, the fruitful branch, which we read in John 15. In a letter in 1908, Sister White has this to say. She says, It is not the profession of righteousness that will meet the needs of the world today and will fulfill the will of God for the human family. God is looking for fruit-bearing branches. God desires for us to bear fruits, not for our own glory, but for the Father's glory. In John, we read that God is looking for us to bear much fruit for his glory and to show that we are Christ's disciples. And the Apostle Paul lists for us in Galatians what those fruits are, and you are familiar with them. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, yes. Now, there is a wonderful promise in the spirit of prophecy. If we can move to the next slide, please, Eugene. In the spirit of prophecy, it says, Before the final visitation of God's judgment upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness. We're very familiar with this, with this statement. As has not been witnessed since the apostolic time, the spirit will be poured out upon his children. And... Uh, 
This, there was a, an interesting interview of Pastor Ted Wilson when he was re-elected as president. And the context of this statement was actually a question to him, you know, how could people witness in places where they're not allowed to talk about Christ or they're not allowed to openly witness? And he says, God calls us in whatever situation we're in to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Those beautiful characteristics will automatically make you a witness. The Lord will help you and I to know how best to impact people's lives. And people will notice the difference, won't they? They will know. They will come and ask you and I why we are kind or gentle or patient. And the Lord can help each of us find creative ways to bring out his truth. Let us pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we have the fruit of the Spirit. The world, more than ever, needs us, his people, to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Just like the morning when Christ was walking to Jerusalem, he still hungers to receive from his vineyard the fruit of holiness and unselfishness. And Brother George talked about this today in our Sabbath school, that the opposite of love is selfishness. And God is looking for people who are holy and unselfish. He is still looking for principles of love and goodness. And in closing, let me share this final quote from the, Christ, from the book Christ Object Lesson, page 419. It says, There is nothing that Christ desires so much as agents who will represent to the world his spirit and character. There is nothing that the world needs so much as the manifestation of through humanity of the Savior's love. All heaven is waiting for channels through which can be poured the holy oil to be a joy and blessing to human hearts. The appeal for us today is to open ourselves to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we can be channels of his blessing. God is waiting to pour out his Holy Spirit to us. And that my prayer when God comes looking for fruits in Belleville Church, that he will find and will continue to find love, joy, peace, and the many other fruits of the Spirit. And that when he comes hungering and enters our homes, that he will find gentleness, meekness, temperance. And at last, when he comes again, and we know he is coming soon, we see the signs all around us that he will find faith among his people. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your promise to pour out your spirit on us. Lord, we need your spirit more than ever. You're looking for people that will witness to the world, and we want to be witnesses for you, Father. We cannot do it on our own. But through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we can be witnesses. We don't even have to say something. They will see that in our lives. So, Father, I pray now that your spirit fall upon us today and that you will come into our hearts so that others will be blessed and others will come to know Jesus through our witness and be ready for when he comes. In Jesus' name, amen.